Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 72, Paradiso, Canto Quinto, the sixth day, late afternoon. First of all, apologies if the microphone picks up the group of teenagers who are somehow gathered outdoors somewhere near my flat, despite the 27 degrees Celsius at sunset. I don't know how I've ever lived a life without air conditioning until the summer of 2018, but now I think it's one of God's great gifts to humanity, and on this like today, it's higher up on my list than what was defined as the greatest gifts in today's canto. We are still in the first sphere, with Patricia telling Dante that he shouldn't be surprised that she's so bright, since she is increasing in splendour by looking into the mind of God. She also sees that truth is now shining in Dante's intellect, so she's happy to answer his questions at last. So the question with which he was burning yesterday was if people can make up for the failure to keep their vows with good works. The answer is no. Patricia explains that the greatest gifts we have from God is our own free will, and taking vows means we give up such free will in a gift of our own self, and the sacrifice of our own will to become conformed with the will of God. Therefore, to do good works in order to make up for breaking vows would be equivalent to doing good works with stolen goods. Now, for us in 2020, it may look ridiculous just how much space Dante gave to this issue in this canto, and technically they built up to it in the previous two as well. For Dante though, it was a very pressing issue, since it was easy to not only get into vows for the wrong reasons, but also to get out of them if you paid enough money. Now, even St. Thomas Aquinas had been as strict as Dante on this issue, so I wonder if it was a bit personal. It was addressing this to both the Church as an institution and the Church as the body of the faithful, as many took vows too lightly, treating it almost like it's a sure way to get to heaven when the process of purification is meant to be hard. He gave us two examples of bad vows, one biblical and one classical, Jephthah from the Book of Judges, who made a vow to offer as a burnt offering the first person from his household to come out to greet him as thanksgiving for success in striking peace with the Ammonites so that it could become the chieftain of Gilead. This event is largely seen as proof of the moral decadence of the Israelites at the time, as the prohibition to such sacrifices in the law was disregarded, and such practices from the people around them were embraced in their turning their backs to God. Then we see Agamemnon sacrificing Ephigenia, who, um, when a seer told um, Agamemnon and Artemis was stopping them from reaching Troy as punishment for him killing one of the sacred deers in an accident. Different version of the myth see the girl dying or being saved by Artemis. The myth seem like extreme examples for something that most likely did not involve killing someone, so Dante must have felt incredibly strong about it. Anyway, the final part of the canto is the access to the next sphere that of Mercury, even more splendid than the one before. There they will meet the souls of those who laboured for earthly glory, 
who all tell Dante what we already heard from the other souls. He will increase their charity by giving them one more person to love. Dante is unsurprisingly really keen to speak to someone. As he expects, we are also really keen to know what's going on after that. The source who will like the soul who will invite him to ask questions is that of the Emperor Justinian, but we won't know it yet. The canto ends with a description of how his joy in being asked who he is and what's the condition of the souls in that sphere has increased the splendour of his soul, leaving us at the usual cliffhanger because I expect it's going to be a discourse on politics since tomorrow's canto is number six. So, in the end, the real subject of the canto was the subject of vows. Of course, it's not the first time the vows have taken so much space in a written test, as anyone who has read Leviticus knows. It's the topic of chapter 27. She's technically only 34 verses, but then it's prose and not poetry, so it's likely not that much shorter. Anyway, it drags on and it feels like a whole book anyway. According to Professor Barolini, Beatrice's economy of vows in this canto is a reflection of the authority of that biblical text. After all, vows are seen as a good in both texts, except for the situations highlighted in which the vows become bad. Furthermore, Dante here holds Christians to a higher standard, creating some kind of competition with the Jewish people, as a righteous Jew can more easily obtain salvation than a careless Christian. I don't necessarily see the harsh assessments that she sees, nor any harsher than what the writers of the New Testament would have said anyway. I can think of a number of references in which St. Paul talked about the freedom from the law that was bought with the blood of Christ and the warning not to throw away the privilege given to all those who are saved through faith rather than the works of the law. I think here Dante puts himself once again in his Pauline role and he is in no way trying to deny the reality of the people of Israel being the progenitors of Christians. Anyway, we'll be back with Justinian in the next episode. Bye bye! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.